If you have been a Christian for any length of time, chances are that you might have heard something from the Philippians. I don't know how many of you were able to read the entire Philippians recently, but as you go along, you will say to yourself, Oh, I know this verse. I, I've heard about this somewhere. Philippians is packed with such truth. And what we are going to talk about today, chapter 1 and verse 21 of that famous Philippians, is the highest peak of the Mount Everest. I don't want to exaggerate this, so I've thought about this, whether that is a fitting description of 121, but I believe that is the case. It may not have the doctrinal power of Romans 1.16. Gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Or the comfort of Romans 8.28. Nor does it have the high Christology of the next chapter. But Philippians 1.21 is the grand conclusion of all the gospel doctrines for a Christian life. You put all of the doctrines that you know, and as you remember when you were doing math, you put three dots. The final conclusion, therefore, that is the answer. Philippians 1, 21 is that conclusion. Gospel is the power of God for salvation for anyone who believes. Okay, put that in. Christ emptying himself, put that into the box. As an ex-chemistry major, I always use that analogy. You boil it. And what remains at the end of that long lab period is this verse. If John 3.16 is what God has done, Philippians 1.21 is what we should be doing in response to John 3.16. John 3.16 is famous. People wear it, print it, memorize it. But that's what God has done in Christ. Philippians 1.21 is all of the doctrines that we know, theology that we know. And if that person is a true Christian who have absorbed all of those beautiful, powerful truth of God, this is how we should live. I think this is very important. So let's read verse 21 together. I mean, it's one verse. I know I printed 20 and 22 as well. But let's read that verse, chapter 1, verse 21, together with one voice. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Today, only the first half. From my perspective, this today's sermon is not simply a teaching. It has always been the case for me but I prepare the sermon really for my sake, first and foremost. And 
Probably because what has been happening in and around me past few weeks and months, I believe this is really a prescription from God to all Christians. People who struggle in this real life. What can God give you for the believers? This really is it, I think. The outlook for a Christian. Let's look at the first few words. It says, For to me, to me, to me, for Paul. These days, if you listen to some talks, people say, well, this is for me. The reason why they say it is for me is to relativize whatever they are talking about. So it is for me, so don't be offended. You come up with your own idea, truth. But it is for me, so do not be offended. That's how that phrase is used these days. A couple of months ago, I went to a dentist, a new dentist. Not my usual one, but some, someone who was near to my place. As my teeth, some of that were hurting, so I asked the dentist, Sir, do you have any recommendation? Because this and that is hurting, and do you have any recommendation? And that person says, the doctor says to me, Well, as a doctor, I cannot tell you what to do. You have to figure out what works for you. At that time, I knew that I'm not coming back. I wasn't asking for some deep, profound truth. I simply asked for any advice. My gum is hurting. Is there anything that you recommend? So I could, you know, practice that. And what I heard from that doctor, probably, I don't know, that person has been sued many times. But that's how it is these days. So when Paul says, for to me... He's not saying it just applies to me. What he is saying is this is my personal conviction. Whether anyone else lives for Christ, I will. That's what he's saying. Like Joshua 24. As for me and my household, we will serve Yahweh. You have to choose. Why is this important, I think, is that as Christians, when we look around, We are discouraged by looking at so-called Christians breaking the law of God all the time. And we ask ourselves, what is the point of trying to live a holy life? But when you listen to what Apostle Paul is saying, no matter what is happening, no matter the situation, this is my life. Paul elsewhere speaks to his younger brother, Timothy. Well, a spiritual son to him. So many people are going shipwrecked. Some people eager for money have wandered away from faith. But you, men of God, flee from all this. Do you remember that? 1 Timothy 6. 
No matter what is happening in and around you, what other people are doing, failing, succeeding, it does not matter. Who are you, Timothy? Aren't you that man of God, the word that was preserved for the prophets of the Old Testament? You are in Christ. Remember who you are. So do not make an excuse. Do not look around and say, what is the point? Why this is not happening to me? It is about you and Christ. You, men of God. I will take this in the same way. Apostle Paul is saying to me, whatever is happening, his resolve, his intention, that's what he is saying. So that's the first section to me. No matter what. Let me ask you a question. I know this is a very familiar verse to you. When you hear this first sentence, to die is gain is easy. We understand what that means. But to live is Christ? What do you think that phrase means? To live is Christ. We kind of know what that is. Like to live is Christ, probably Christ living in me, through me. But I want you to understand that phrase. And I will begin here with some analysis of that phrase to understand. Literally, it says, to live Christ. To die, gain. So there's that parallelism. So I began in the back, backward. To die is gain. That's easy. Who's doing the dying? It is not Christ. Paul is speaking about himself. If I were to die, my death will be my gain. So with that reasoning, if you apply that to live, Christ. It is not so much Christ living in me. Yes, Christ lives in us. But what he is saying is, it is about my life. To live, it is my life. Christ is not doing the dying in the phrase here in this section. So it is not Christ is doing the living. As he said, for to me, it is about my life. To live, there is no verb. To live. Christ. So I think the saying, the meaning of this phrase is this. My life's purpose is Christ. It's not so much God is living in and through me. Christ is living in and through me. As I said, it is true. But his emphasis here is that my entire life's purpose is Christ. Larger and shorter catechism says, what is the chief end? What's the chief and highest end of man? Is to glorify God and to enjoy Him, fully to enjoy Him forever. That's what Paul is saying. He does not waste any words. He says, life to live? Christ. He doesn't even say, it is about Christ. My purpose is for Christ. He says, 
What do you mean my life entirety? It's Christ, Christ, Christ. Christ is his all-consuming reality, so he does not even have to explain. To live, Christ. And you could think about many different meanings from that phrase, but that's, I believe, what this verse is saying. His foundation, his purpose, center, meaning, direction, power of his life, What is it? One word. He summarizes it all. He says, Christ. Why do we struggle? If you were here last Sunday, I shared some of those personal things in my life. It is because we have this knowledge, conviction, and faith about the Word of God, the truth, the promise of God. We believe. But there's a gap between that faith, knowledge, and reality. The gap is what is hurting Christians. What could God say to me? As a Christian who believes in the promise of God, yet there is struggle. What can God do to me? Do you expect God to remove you from certain situations, whether it's disease, whether it is very difficult situation, miraculously? God does not always walk that way. So while I'm here, what can I do? What can God do for me? I think many things in the world, like disease, death, whatever struggles that we have, works in a scale. Let's put you on the one side. It's you, believer, Christian. And on the other side, the world. All the headaches, heartaches, you put it on there. More often than not, what happens is when those heavy weights drop on this side, you fly. Remember in Daniel, the finger comes out and says, Tekel. Tekel means you have been weighed. And found to be wanting. And I thought, one way for Christians to survive this, whatever that is happening, is for me to be heavier. So that when these weights drop, I will not just fly away. And I found similar passage in Ephesians. Listen to Ephesians 4, 13 through 14. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, faith and knowledge, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of fullness of Christ. He's talking about the unity, faith and knowledge. 
That he calls maturity. Attaining to the fullness of Christ. Right? That's the maturity. But that maturity in the next verse is described in this way. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching or doctrine. That's, that we know. Do you know what the next phrase is? It's not simply the false doctrine that, 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 that is tossing people who are immature back and forth. There's something else. It says, by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. That's basically what my sister endured for almost 20 years. Not the false doctrine, but cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Commonly known as backstabbers. So for us to get heavier, we need to mature. But what kind of life should we expect as Christians? Throughout this week, I want you to remember this verse. Keep thinking about it. And ask yourself, To live Christ. To live is Christ. Use that as a mirror and you look at your life. You will discover there are some things that will not conform to that statement. What is my chief purpose? For Paul, all-consuming reality is Christ. To live is Christ. To the degree that you conform your life to this statement, 121 of Philippians, I believe you will become heavier. Yes, God has sent you to different places in the world to promote God's goodness, righteousness, faithfulness, love to other people. But at the same time, as Bible-believing Christians, in order for us to stay still and not be tossed around, not simply by the false doctrines, but by the people who push you around. Craftiness like Satan, they they make your life miserable. How can we? How can I? Then you think about to live as Christ. How much do I really care about that statement? Is it truly my statement? So you have to own it. And as you own that statement, I believe you and I could become heavier. Whatever wonderful thing that you are doing in the world, and it is really for God and for the people. You serve other people. But let us not forget, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ alone that could save and change sinners. That's the supreme. I hope you don't take it as, oh, that's pastor talking. 
whatever you are doing is really not as important as the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to realize that. You may think what you are doing is so important in this world. It could change the world. It could make it a better place. Is to forget about what is the chief end. What is the only means by which God saves people. What does it mean for Paul to say to live Christ? He actually provides some commentary on his own. Is it to think about Christ the moment you wake up? Well, yes, that may be so. But in the context, the verses that are provided for you, verse 20 and verse 22 especially, he explains what he is saying his own commentary of on verse 21 is found in verse 22 verse 20 is about magnifying the lord in my body that's to live is christ for him verse 22 is what if i am to live on in this flesh this will mean fruitful labor for me so if you were to ask Paul, what do you mean in verse 21? For me to live is Christ. What do you mean? He would say in the next verse, you know, for me to live is to have fruitful labor. So it's not simply psychological. But following verses as we will look at it, in the service of the gospel and for the church, he gives himself up just like Christ has done. That's what for him to live as Christ means in his life. Service. Fruitful labor. Fruitful labor, actually I looked it up. Fruitful labor, what, what does that look like? Emphasis on the labor. Fruitful modifies the labor. Laboring. But the actual word is fruit of works. There is really no difference, but there is that nuance here that fruitful labor means he's being busy. I'm doing the labor. I hope that's fruitful, but I am doing the laboring. But what he's saying is if I remain in this body, this means fruit. Of my works. And that works is not labor. It's works. Works righteousness, that works. As opposed to faith, works. So he's saying something like this. For me, to live is Christ. For to me, to live is about fruit. There's that tranquility. Not sweat on his eyebrows and says working hard. It's about serving, serving, serving. But there is that peace afterwards, harvesting the fruit, aesthetic fruit, that you want to bite. Paul, what is your life about? It's about Christ. And it's about fruit of my works. Yes, fruitful labor too. 
You look at this verse this week, and if I want to grow my muscles, I will lift weights over and over again. If you are to grow your spiritual muscle, you look at this verse and go home, and you you live your life, it's not going to grow. You have to think about this. Do I really live like this? Everyone will confess, Christ is my chief end. But is it really? You have to think about it. You have to, if there are things to repent and cut it out, you have to do that. You know, oftentimes I think about the opposite. Antonym. It clarifies things for me. Do you know what the opposite of living for Christ? Opposite. Opposite. He's living for Christ. That's a good thing. What was the opposite of it? What is opposite of living for Christ? Is it not living for Christ? It's not. The opposite reality is living for yourself. It's not not living for Christ. But simply live for yourself is the very opposite concept and reality that you will see in 2 Corinthians 5.15. Let me read that verse for you. He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. If you just live your life, you are walking against living for Christ. Live for yourself, enjoying your life. If that's the main concern of a person's life, when heavy weight drops, you'll be flying. And you don't want that. So think about to live Christ. Is it? We need need to do some spiritual surgery. Look at our lives. And to see. And for Paul, again, that meant serving the body of Christ, the church. Let me give you a couple of quotes. Not how to, but in a general terms. How can I live for Christ? First quotation comes from John Calvin. Uh, from book three in his institutes, chapter six through ten is that small book. Little book on a Christian life. Ninth chapter was the best one. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But ninth chapter was the best one. And he begins that section in this way. How should we live that explanation? Whatever be the kind of tribulation with which we are afflicted, we should always consider the end of it 
that we may be trained, here's the word, so that we may be trained to despise the present and thereby stimulate it to aspire to the future life. He talks about how we are inclined by nature to a slavish love for this world. And he talks about many different tribulations and he says, these things happen so that God could train you. Train you so that you could wean from the love of the world, for the world. His prescription for the Christians you need to learn to despise the world. And I thought that's true. What's the best life? Having a secure, diseaseless life so that I could enjoy. To see the world like that, you could simply turn to the media. That's all that they are doing. And when you hear the news, such as you have terminal illness, shocked, sad, defeated, depressed, why is that? Because we love this world so much. But according to that great teacher, Calvin, you need to learn to despise this world. Second quotation comes from this man, Gerhardus Voss. I brought this because I, if you can, to encourage you to buy this book, Grace and Glory, I've received this as a gift from Elder Tom Warnock. I think he sent it to some pastors. And um, I remember referring this to this first sermon that I've read in this like wonderful tree. That's the first sermon here. Voss, you may not know this guy, but if you go to seminary, our seminary, you will hear this man over and over again. I've told you many times I don't like this man because it's too hard to understand. (laughs) So hard. I thought it was just me. But even John Fesco says he had to read biblical theology three times to understand him. It's just his English is just so hard. Because it's Dinglish, there's a Dutch English. But I want to draw your attention to the second sermon. Yesterday I came back from that presbytery meeting. And um, you know, I was kind of sad. Kind of sad. You know, all these men that I've mentioned in the beginning of our worship, you know, I love those men. They're like fathers to me. And I haven't seen them for about a year or so. And when I saw them, and I see them getting old. John Malin, Dick Garber, Shishko. So I said I came back tired. I was just, I put this in front of me and, I never read after the first chapter. (laughs) 
you know. But I thought, okay, I'm going to pick up and read. And last yesterday evening, and even until this morning, I read that second chapter. I went very slow. If you could get it, get it. And the second chapter, second sermon is hungering and thirsting after righteousness from Sermon on the Mount. Probably you have heard many sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. I've read a couple of books by Sinclair Ferguson, Lloyd-Jones. But in these few pages, finally understood what people were saying about Voss. Just amazing. Amazing how he defines what hungering and thirsting for righteousness means. The law, sin, is one of those things that you read and when you listen to great music, watch a movie, sometimes you, you just cannot leave, right? Because of the, you, so you moved so deeply. It's rare for me to have that kind of uh, impact by just simply reading a sermon. But this second sermon was, was, was like that. It's lingering. I mean, it is just, you have to read. I, I put a link on our Twitter because that first few sermons are available free in Kerouac's journal. But if you can buy this, read it, chew it many times in your mind. And here, I'll just give you just one couple of sentences. But um, I hope you could read to to restructure your mind. After reading this, you know, even in the introduction, Sinclair Ferguson says, these sermons he preached at Princeton Seminary, I don't think students understood by simply listening to these sermons. But if you can read, if you could understand. When Tom Warnock sent this to me, he sent me also a letter saying this is something like what you should aspire to. And after reading this, you weigh my sermon on on this kind of sermon. This is so heavy. Not that I want to preach a difficult sermon, but as Sinclair Forrest says in the beginning, this kind of sermon is rare. I don't think anywhere you could hear this kind of it. But why did he do it? This such a Sermon. He was a scholar. He was not a preacher. It's very difficult to understand. But the second chapter, I understood. And I, as I read the introduction again, I wrote it here so that I could emulate. This is Ferguson talking about Voss. Why like this? Why? Why? Why so heavy sermon? He says, Voss. He wishes to speak to his hearers about God. We tend to gravitate towards how to, how to survive. But if we want to talk about God, that real God, God, then it is necessary to train up our minds in this fashion. Let me just give you this, just one phrase, but this is really out of context. You have to read the whole thing. I hope you will read it. Then you will understand. And it says here, to hunger and thirst 
after a thing means the recognition that without that thing there can be no life. It involves that in this one desire and its satisfaction, the whole meaning of life is centered, that the whole energy of life is directed towards it, that the goal of life is identified with it. To the sense of this fundamental spiritual craving, all other things are obliterated. If you say, well, that's religious talk, then you are not understanding the weight of his sermon. You have to read. Please read. It's like Calvin. Calvin says one thing. You need to learn to despise the world. You're so attached to the world. You have to win that love for the world. Another teacher, Voss, says, to hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God in that fundamental craving, you forget about everything else. And I believe we have to exercise our spiritual hearts and minds on these advices and truths. You need to get heavier so that no wind of doctrine, no evil scheming of the secular wicked people will hurt you. You will not be moved. You will not be tossed back and fro as I mature. As I attain to the fullness of Christ, you have to read. You have to read God's Word. Inevitably, I find, in people's struggles, there are no deep knowledge of God, of the Bible. They heard many sermons. They kind of know what Christian life is about. They are used to it. But when you ask that person, do you have an anchor? Do you have the Word of God inside of you? So many people will say, oh, I was just, I'm just too busy. For to me, to live is Christ. If you want to truly become alive, not simply to exist, you need to hunger and thirst after Christ. In Him, you live. In Him, you move. In Him, you have your existence. And as you live in Him, you live for Him. You first must be in Him. But that's how you serve and live for Him. And that is the purpose of God in your life. That His glory may be manifested in the world through you whose life is all about Christ. May it be true for all of you that we may confess it, believe it, and actually live it. And I believe that's the only way that we could glorify God.
and enjoy him forever in this crooked generation. Let's pray.